Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm one of, uh, one of the pastors here. And it's a real privilege to be uh, continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel uh, with you this morning. We're going to be looking at a passage in uh, Matthew chapter 24. We're reading the whole chapter and we're going to be spending our time thinking about that chapter. Uh, so open up to Matthew chapter 24 and we'll read it together. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will, be led, and they will lead many astray. And you he- will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short." Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. 
As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at their proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know, And will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray before we get started this morning. Our Father, be our guide and our teacher this morning as your scriptures are read and taught. Please produce in us a deep confidence in your Son Jesus, the Lord of the universe who is supreme and who is mighty and who is the king who saves. Please pour out your spirit among us that we may be filled with faith, hope, love and joy. Father, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. One of the fascinating things about summer in Perth is our love-hate relationship with the heat. Nothing is better than a summer where the weather is warm enough to feel like you can actually enjoy going to the beach. The weekend beach trips, they rank really highly for people in Perth. But at the very same time, nothing is worse than the 40 degree days. The ground is boiling, the car seat belt is scalding, and it's as bad as a rainy day being locked inside. And no matter how many Perth summers that we endured, it still took us a few years to get our first air conditioner. I think it was at least two summers and real summers, not like the one we've just had, where there's back-to-back 40-degree days. We endured two summers of feeling like our house was an oven. You see, there's only one thing worse than a Perth summer, and that's a Perth summer you're not prepared for. Thankfully, we now have more than just the pedestal fans from Bunnings. To keep us cool, we have an air conditioner and we, we enjoy it thoroughly. 
But the point we're trying to make here is this. that In the passage that we're looking at this morning, God wants us to be prepared. God wants us to be prepared for life now in light of the return of his chosen king, Jesus. And listen, you need to hear it. Because if you're not prepared, it's going to be worse than a sunburn that you endure. You need to listen and you need to be prepared. Uh, This chapter that we're reading this morning is one of the most disputed chapters in the Bible around some of its meaning and some of the way that people interpret it. And so it's worth us having a think about how it is that we go about uh, having different opinions about key things that happen in the Bible. This diagram is uh, incredibly useful uh, for thinking about things like this. It divides the Christian theologies that we have that, that come up from the Bible into three categories. Those that are essential things that sit in the middle of these three circles, things that sit there, things like the, that Jesus historically died and rose again, that our God is Trinity and that the Scriptures are the Word of God. And if you were to pull out some of the things that we, we would put in that, in that circle, you would actually be left with something that's, that's not actually Christianity. If you were to take away the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, you're actually left with something less than Christian. The second circle out is the health circle. Things around which if we are one church and one body, it's for our health that we have alignment on those things. So some examples are uh, things like baptism, things like our relationship between church and the government and how those things uh, play out. And although there are, there's room for disagreement on those things, for the sake of the unity of a church, it is actually helpful to have... Uh, alignment on those issues. And finally, the outside circle is, is titled Disputable, uh, and that's um, the area where we can have legitimate and true disagreement with each other and not lose what we hold dear and in common. It's still a Christian faith that we're holding on to, even if we might be disagreeing on issues in that circle. The passage that we've just read out, Matthew chapter 24, actually presents things that sit in every one of those circles. So, for example, that Jesus will return one day to judge the living and the dead, that's essential. That's a core doctrine to the Christian faith. But it also has things that are in the disputable category. So things like the sequencing and the timing of particular events leading up to the return of Jesus, that's an area where we can actually have some healthy disagreement with each other on. We don't need to force each other or be angry with one another around areas of disagreement on that front. Uh, Don Carson, who's a well-respected theologian and biblical scholar, he, in his introduction to his commentary on Matthew 24, outlines six different views on how this chapter could be interpreted particularly around the sequencing and the timing of events that occur. So what does this mean? Well, let me start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you can't have strong convictions around issues and the the theology that comes out of Matthew 24. You still can have strong convictions around them as you look at the scriptures and you try to make sense of them and you're hearing what God is saying to you 
It's okay to have strong convictions about that. And actually, actually that's healthy. To base your convictions on Scripture. But what it does mean is that we can love one another. We can treat each other as brothers and sisters, even if we disagree on, particularly in this chapter, the timing and the sequence of events. I think we can, have, we can dispute those issues amongst each other and have healthy back-and-forth discussions around it, but we can still call each other brother and sister. And one final point here to make is that there's actually a danger when we think about a chapter like this. Is that we get so stuck in the weeds, the thinking about the particular timing and sequencing of events, that we miss what Jesus wants for us. We miss the core message of what Jesus actually wants to speak into our hearts and our lives. So can I encourage you, as we, look at this pastor, as we look at this passage, to come together as brothers and sisters and let's not miss the forest for the trees. Let's see what it is that Jesus has to say to us. So let's get right into Matthew chapter 24. Our passage begins with Jesus' response to his disciples' comments about the temple. Why the disciples mention the temple is actually pretty hard to pin down. They have a question, and so they make this comment to Jesus. But what Jesus has to say, I think, is actually fairly clear, especially when seen in light of chapter 23, which comes immediately before. Jesus is prophesying about the coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Not one stone will be left on another. The disciples, verse 3, asked two questions in response to Jesus' comments. Question one, when will these things be? The, these things, referring to the destruction of the temple that Jesus has just mentioned. And question two, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The following two chapters, chapter 24 and 25, need to be read in light of the question that Jesus is answering. And here lies one of the particular difficulties with this chapter. It can be difficult to determine when Jesus is answering one question and when he's answering the other. But I think we can tread a path forward as we look at the details of the text, and it's one of those questions that we may disagree on, and that's okay. One of the key details that we need to consider is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This slide helps us to visualize that Jesus, uh, exactly that, that, that Jesus is teaching his disciples. And we need to remember when it is that Jesus is speaking. So let me quickly explain. We have the cross, which Jesus went to die on in AD 33, the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and the return of the Son of Man, which in our passage today makes it clear is unknown around the timing. So when is it that Jesus is speaking to his disciples? He speaks to them before the cross. And so we need to understand their perspective if we're going to understand the passage right. From where they stand, the destruction of the temple and the return of the Son of Man are both future events. But for us, we live in the time after the temple destruction, but before the return of the Son of Man. 
So as we're listening to these chapters, as we're hearing Jesus teach about the destruction of the temple and the future events, he's speaking about both as future events. But for us, on our side of history, we need to understand that that is a past event. That's a helpful framework to have in your mind as we consider this chapter. And it's going to help us understand what it is that Jesus wants to say. And this is critical. It's important that we have the space to disagree about the details of the chapter with humility and love. But if it means we miss what God wants to do in our hearts and lives, then we're actually missing the point. And what are, those two, what are the things that Jesus wants for us? Well, there's two things. Verse 4 to 31, Jesus wants us to endure. And secondly, verse 32 to 51, he wants us to be ready. And so to start, verse 4 to 31, life with the birth pains. Jesus wants us to endure. Verse 8 tells us that there will be birth pains. Birth pains are horrible. But birth, birth pains are full of hope and anticipation because they tell you that there's a baby coming, don't they? And so will be the future. For the disciples in the lead up to the destruction of the temple and for us in the time before the return of the Son of Man, birth pains, discomfort, longing for it to be over. That's what the time before the end will be like. And what will those birth pains be? Jesus tells us, verse 5, false Christs and false prophets, those who would want to lead you astray will come up. Verse 7, political and natural disasters. Verse 9, persecution for following Jesus. Verse 10, people falling away from faith in Jesus. Betrayal. Hatred. These will be the birth pains. And hasn't that been your experience of life following Jesus? Isn't that the life, isn't that the world that we live in right now? And more than that, hasn't that been the experience of Christians throughout history? Birth pains, discomfort, a longing for things to be over. The Russian invasion of Ukraine, earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, friends and family who give up on their faith, Persecution for loyalty to Jesus. Trusted Christian leaders who betray our trust. Birth pains. Discomfort. Longing for it to be over. And for the disciples, they would experience a very particular and severe birth pain. And that Jesus, so severe that Jesus tells them to flee to the mountains. That's what verse 15 to 22 is describing, the destruction of the temple. The abomination that causes desolation is a reference to the prophet Daniel, describing a time when someone will come and destroy the temple, ending its sacrificial system. To help give us some clarity on this, Luke chapter 21 verse 20 helps us put together uh, these two, these, this event and this phrase. It says this, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its desolation has come near. 
the abomination that causes desolation is the incoming Roman armies around Jerusalem and their entrance into the temple and its destruction. In AD 20, the Roman armies invaded and destroyed it. Jerusalem and the temple were flattened. Verse 21, Jesus predicted that it would be the worst tribulation the world has seen. There's a man by the name Josephus. Uh, Josephus was, was a non-Christian Jewish historian who lived between AD 40 and AD 100. He's one of the most reliable historians we have access to for that time of history. And he writes his book titled The Jewish War as a historical account of those events. And about the destruction of the temple and the flattening of Jerusalem, he writes these things. Those trying to escape were slaughtered. 600,000 were found dead in the city. Of those who did escape, they were crucified opposite the city walls. And the city was set on fire. Birth pains, discomfort, longing for it to be over. And in the face of the birth pains, both for his 12 disciples then and for us now, Jesus calls us to endure. Verse 4, see that no one leads you astray. Verse 13, endure. In the birth pains, the discomfort, the longing for it to be over, endure. Don't lose your grip on Jesus. Don't let go of God. Pursue him and give your life to him and endure. If you've lived in Australia long enough, you'll know that fire can destroy whole forests. I can remember as a kid, I enjoyed playing with the magnifying glass in the backyard. And if you lined up the sunlight, you could burn a hole in a leaf or whatever else you could find. And so, of course, when I started burning cardboard boxes for the moving ones that were quite large, my parents freaked out. And it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that they would freak out. It's because fire can destroy. And that's what Jesus wants to warn us about. In the fire of tribulations, of suffering, of birth pains, it could be possible that we get destroyed in the process. Not physically destroyed, but spiritually. For the fire to destroy our faith in the Lord. So Jesus was not making an educated guess or working off a hunch when he said in verse 10 that many will fall away. Some will be consumed by the fire. Now, a fire can destroy whole forests, but I wonder if you've ever noticed that after a fire, you can still see big trees standing strong. For some reason, all the other trees are left flat, but there's a few that are left around standing strong. And it turns out there's actually a reason. The difference is in the bark. The difference is in the bark, actually. Uh, trees that have thick 
bark, healthy bark, are those that are more likely to stand when others will fall. The question I want to ask us this morning, and the question that our passage wants to answer for us, is how do we get thick bark? And Jesus wants to show us, and it's this. We will grow thick bark, strong and enduring in the face of the birth pains, when we trust that Jesus is the supreme, conquering king. Verse 13 and 14, those who endure, not maybe, but will be saved. And Jesus' gospel, not maybe, but will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Jesus stands as a supreme king over the whole world. See, opposition and birth pains will have their place in our life. But Jesus' purposes in this world will not be challenged. Verse 30, the Son of Man will come on the clouds in heaven with power and great glory. In verse 29 there, the language of cosmic disruption of the sun, the moon and the stars is Old Testament language for the judgment of God. And who is it that comes as God's judge? It's the Son of Man. It's Jesus the conquering supreme Lord of glory coming on the clouds and he comes to gather his elect. That's what will grow thick bark on your soul. That you are one of his elect. That you belong to him and he rules. He's the king who died and rose victorious. He's the king who conquered death disarmed Satan and defeated sin. And for those who have trusted in him, you are his elect. He, not maybe, but will gather you from the very ends of the earth. Trusting that Jesus is the supreme conquering king, that will give you thick bark. That will give you what you need for endurance, even through the birth pains. And that's how we can understand how it could even be possible for Jesus to say, do not be alarmed. When we see the birth pains, birth pain, how can we not be alarmed, Jesus? That's nuts. But Jesus is the supreme conquering king. And so we do not need to be alarmed. So whatever our view of the particular sequencing and ordering of the events that lead up to Jesus' return, if it's causing you a greater degree of fear and anxiety and worry, come and listen to Jesus. The supreme conquering Lord says this, do not be alarmed. I am the Lord. I am King. And so, firstly, we've seen Jesus is telling us about the birth pains and he wants us to endure. And secondly, life before his return, Jesus wants to be ready. 
verse 32 to 35, function as a hinge between the first and second half of our passage. Jesus gives us a lesson in reading signs. Verse 32, you see a fig tree, the fig tree's branches becoming tender. Summer must be near. So it is when you see these things. Uh, another particular area of disagreement that is within the disputable triangle that we looked at earlier is what does Jesus mean when he says these things? I'll give you my particular understanding, but again, this is an area where we can be brothers and sisters who disagree. In my mind, the, the, the these things must be the same these things in the following verse. The, the, the these things that take place within the lifetime of the disciples. So, the these things must refer to the destruction of the temple. Once Rome captured and destroyed Jerusalem, like the fig leaves, it tells you that Jesus is near. He's at the very gates. His return and his entrance is imminent. And so, of course, the question must be asked, in what sense is he at the very gates? Which I would... If I had to uh, confess, not confess, if I had to be honest about the way that I understand this passage, that could be one of the weaknesses in the way that I understand this passage. That it might not pick up the imminence of the passage in the same way that others do. Uh, and yet, that's how I've come to understand this passage. Even I think every position will have to confess to some weaknesses in their, the way that they view things. The very next, and so how is it that Jesus' return is imminent? Well, let's have a look at our timeline again. After the cross and after the destruction of the temple, what is the very next thing that's on the agenda? The very next thing is the return of Jesus. It's the very next thing. Of course, the question then becomes. When will that be? Verse 36 gives us a very clear answer. No one knows. Not the angels, not even Jesus. God alone knows. Verse 37, people will be busy eating, drinking, marrying, as in the time of Noah and the great flood, and it will come without warning. And going back to verse 7, it will be obvious to all, won't it? It will be that lightning that strikes. It's obvious in the east. It's as obvious in the west. Verse 40 to 41, people will be busy working in the field, gathering, grinding in the mill. Neither will suspect a thing, but it will become clear to both instantly. And because the timing is not known to anyone... Which, by the way, means if anyone does tell you when Jesus is returning, you can be really confident that's not when Jesus will return. As soon as someone says that they know, you know that they don't. Because the timing is not known, Jesus commands us, be ready. Be ready. Verse 43, if you knew a thief was coming, and going to break into your house, surely you'd stay awake. You'd protect your house. And verse 34, therefore, you must be ready. Not long ago, a light airplane crashed 
sadly killing the Australian pilot. It was later discovered that that pilot drank significant amounts of alcohol in the hours leading up to the crash. This man was not ready. He was not prepared. And so he suffered. Don't let that be you. Be ready. Be prepared. Stay awake. The Son of Man will come when you do not expect. On the other hand, verse 45, be the faithful and wise servant. Be faithful. Be loyal to the one and only one, Lord Jesus. Be loyal to the master who has set you over his household. Be faithful with the task that he has set. What he has in mind here is being engaged in the work of the Lord. Be busy proclaiming the gospel. Be busy building up the church. And there are many of you here who fit that description. Many of you give time and resource to the work of the Lord. You give yourself to investing in relationships for the sake of the gospel. You give yourself over to serving the interests of others rather than your own around church. You've given yourself over to the Lord. And as you hear this, you need to hear the encouraging words of Jesus. You will be set over the Lord's possessions. The Lord will reward you and lavish upon you the riches of his grace for all eternity. All for the things that he's enabling you to do day by day in serving the gospel and serving his church. But for others of us here, God's word needs to cut you open with a scalpel. It's going to hurt. But be assured, it's the cutting knife of a surgeon. A surgeon who wants to restore and heal you. Some here today are living, verse 48, like the wicked servant. In contrast to the faithful and wise servant, you're living an unfaithful and foolish life. You see, the risen, conquering Lord is right at the gates. His return is imminent. But you are saying to yourself, my master is delayed. And friends, I imagine that this is only true for a small handful of people among us. I don't know. The Lord knows. But if I had to guess, maybe it could be four or five of us here today. Living a life that appears to be a Christian life, at church on Sunday, able to say the right things, possibly even serving as part of a team. As Jesus would say, someone who appears to be in his household. But apart from that, there is no sense of the reality of the imminent return of the risen, conquering Lord. There's no evidence that you believe that to be true at all in your life. You have no care at all if the gospel is proclaimed 
No care at all if the church flourishes or fades. And this is as serious as it gets. It could mean that you're heading towards a destination where verse 51, the master will cut you into pieces and place you with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will not be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, but cast out to hell. I'm hoping and praying that, that if this is you, if you're feeling cut by God's word, convicted that something needs to change, maybe you're sensing that something of the urgency of the Lord's imminent return in your life right now, then I hope and pray that you understand that that's the cut of a loving surgeon. A loving father who wants to draw you back to himself. A loving father who is always ready to to receive you back with wide arms. But I also hope and pray that you will not leave this alone. That you will respond to Jesus this morning. And it could mean significant change to your life. I don't know who you are, but the Lord does. But you may need to make significant adjustments to your life. Could I suggest some things that you might do to respond to God's word? Would you be bold enough one person? Telling someone will help you stay accountable to changes that you want to make. And perhaps that person could be someone you know that could help you. A trusted leader, one of your pastors, someone you think could help. And then, would you cry out to the Lord? Would you pray? You need God to come in and work in your life as you seek to rearrange your life and give it back to the Lord. Give yourself over to the Lord. A prayer for help is a prayer that the Lord longs to hear from all of us. And so if this word from the Lord Jesus has cut you this morning, can I encourage you to do those things? As we finish, let's pray together. Father, help us to understand that this world is fleeting, but that you are eternal. Help us to endure through the birth pains and the discomfort of life before the Lord's return. Help us to be ready. And Father, give us the gift of your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and fill us with confidence as we live for Jesus before his return. And Father, we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.